0: Today on our podcast we have a young farmer with a long family history of farming. We're talking with Casey Cox about the story of her family peanut farm. Casey is the sixth generation of her family to farm on Flint River in South Georgia. Her family farm Long Leaf Ridge produces sweet corn, peanuts, field corn, soybeans, and timber. Prior to returning To the farm full time, Casey managed the Flint River Soil and Water Conservation District, serving as executive director for over five years. In this role, she developed and directed multiple projects with federal, state, and private partners and was responsible for procuring and managing over $13.5 million of funding for conservation programs. She was appointed by Secretary Sonny Perdue in 2019. ...to serve as Georgia's alternate board member on the National Peanut Board. Congratulations! Casey holds a Bachelor of Science in Natural Resource Conservation from the University of Florida. Her most significant professional contribution to date was teaching Cookie Monster and Gonger, where peanut butter comes from, on Sesame Street in Season 49. How fun is that? I'm sure we'll talk about that. Welcome to the show today, Casey. Are you ready to rock? Let's go! Excellent! So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Absolutely. So my story really started, obviously, growing up on the farm. It it was a huge part of my life and probably something I took for granted uh, because it it really has shaped who I am, shaped so much of my identity. But of course, that was something I didn't quite realize until I left. (laughs) So like most high school students, I wasn't. Too sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to move far away from the farm and probably never come back. And it didn't take too long <laughs> while I was in college to change my mind. I, and, and I'm really grateful. I'm actually an only child. And even with the history that my family has, my parents never pressured me to come back. That was completely my decision. And they were very supportive and very encouraging, but they ultimately just wanted me to be happy uh, but right before I left for college, I attended a meeting at our neighbor's place about it was about some water issues about the Flint River. And I remember my mom saying to me, she said, I know you're about police for college and, and we don't know where where you're going to wind up, but it's really important for you to always know what's going on in your backyard and, and where you grew up. And that that was really pivotal for me because that meeting was talking about some of the issues with the river and and, and how they intersected with agriculture and farming. And, and that resonated with me really strongly. And that actually was the same week I was choosing what major oh, I nice. wanted to, to do in college. <laughs> so uh, and the University of Florida, I had this incredible program of natural resource conservation. And, I'd, and so I was able to pick that path. And, and that really changed the course of, of my life in a lot of ways. Because As soon as I got into those program, or as soon as I got into my program and started taking some of those classes, I realized how special my childhood was, how unique our our family businesses. You know, I really had that mentality because I grew up in in a farming community that everyone was familiar with agriculture and familiar with farming. And then I went to a large university where there were people from all over the country, all over the world, and, and people who who grew up very differently from me and. That just really helped me understand how different (laughs) my life was and and how unique of an opportunity I had. So I started thinking towards coming back to the farm really in, in my freshman, sophomore year of college and or not coming back to the farm, but coming back to Southwest Georgia and then eventually decided that I ultimately wanted to return to the farm full time. But my parents and I thought it would be a great idea for me to work off the farm for a few years to gain some really valuable insight and perspective. And that has proven to be one of the best decisions I've ever made, too, because I loved my first job. Yes, it was it was so it it, it was really important for me to do that, to build confidence and, and meet other people in the agriculture and conservation industry. And I really feel like that role has. Created an incredible foundation for me going forward. So, uh, this is my first year full time on the farm without any other any other jobs or uh, other other responsibilities, and it has been quite a year. Twenty twenty is quite a year to start something new. Oh my gosh! And, uh, no but I work with my dad. I I work with my dad, <laughs> uh, dad full time, and, and it's really been a huge blessing. And I I tell people all the time that deciding to come back to southwest georgia and return to our family farm was the best decision i've ever made in my life.
0: Wow. Well, you know, so i actually saw you on a netflix tv show and one of the things that <laughs> That's ins- right. one of the things that inspired me to reach out to you and and ask you to be on the podcast is you're a young person and there's not too many young people out there that are farming. And There's a big and here and you have a family farm to do it on, which is huge. Tell me about that.
1: Exactly. That that's something that, like I said, growing up, I really took for granted what a special opportunity that I had and having a family farm and land and, and this legacy here that, that I could return to. It was something that I just didn't understand how unique or special it was. And now that I do, I'm just so filled with gratitude that I have this opportunity and, Yes, it it is definitely there. There are young farmers out there. Obviously, there there are several of us, but it is it's not the norm. Agriculture is such a risky industry to go into. It's so much easier to just pick a steady job in a in a city somewhere and just know you're going to have a steady income that you're what you work for all year isn't wiped out by a natural disaster. But there there's something so special in coming back home to a place that that just has this indescribable pull on your heart and your soul because it, it's just almost a part of who you are. And, and that's really what our farm is for me. I didn't realize how connected I was to our land and to our farm until I left. And, and that really opened my eyes. And it has been such a great opportunity to return to the farm. And, and I will say, I'm, I really didn't know how people would Re- react to that within the local community. Other farmers, you know, my parents cautioned me that other people may not take me seriously, especially as a young woman coming back to the farm. Right, And I have been so pleasantly surprised at the reception that I've had, especially with some of the older, more traditional farmers that you wouldn't expect <laughs> to be as, as positive as they've been. But some of the people that you would, that, that would surprise you the most are the ones who have become my, my biggest cheerleaders. Oh, nice. Because they're so excited that someone young is coming back to this community and is and it's not only returning to the family farm, but it's also speaking out and speaking up for agriculture and our community and and our way of life and and really taking taking advocacy and leadership to the to the next generation. So my community has been so wonderful. and and I just always want to give them credit because this this industry is tough. and I have incredible support from from my family. But it, it's so nice to also have that support from the community and know that there are people within within the industry as a whole, and then of course my local community who are who are rooting for me and want to see me
0: succeed. Right. Well, and I suspect that being the executive director for the Flint River Soil and Water Conservation District for five years has uh, carries a lot of weight.
1: That was honestly the perfect perfect job for me. I loved it so much because. The board of directors for the conservation district is mostly made up of farmers, several farmers I knew and several farmers that I had the opportunity to get to know over the years. And they are doing some really cutting edge and innovative work, uh, especially with the University of Georgia. And uh, some, of, some of the, I mean, it's just amazing what they're doing, honestly. And, and I'm so proud to have been played a small part in that and, and to have been part of that. So yes, that, that really helped me because it helped me find my voice. And my passion, I had to learn how to do things that were way outside of my comfort zone, like nice. public speaking and interviews and, right. and things that things that most farmers are usually not comfortable doing. And, and so that's that I'm really thankful now because it, it opens so many doors for me now as a farmer to have had those connections and relationships. And, and I think that the one thing that it did for me within the community is I was able to be a voice and a representative of the agriculture community in a positive way. And I was able to showcase all of the things that our farmers in this community are doing that, are, that, are, that show good stewardship and conservation. And, and I really loved that. And I, and I think that certainly helped build my relationship with, with growers all over southwest Georgia and even the rest of the state.
0: Wow. Well, congratulations.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It was a wonderful experience.
0: And so how long has your family owned this particular piece of land that you're farming?
1: Well, there, so our farm is split into a few different pieces of property, like most, most farms are. And so part of that property, has we can go all the way back to the 1840s wow. with, with a, a part of that property, which is amazing. So that's where the sixth generations come in. The rest of it has been acquired probably in the last two or three generations. And, but my family has been farming in this area on the Flint river all that time. So it may not be not all of, not this exact property, not all of it, but in this general region. So right. I just have very strong ties and very strong connection to this land.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm really proud. I live on a piece of property that I bought 30 years ago. That's three decades, but you're not talking three decades. You're talking 150 years that in itself is amazing, <laughs> right? right?
1: It, it really is. And, and I'm so thankful.
0: How's that feel to you?
1: I would say it, there there's such a responsibility that, that goes with that. I, it, my parents really instilled the value of stewardship in me as a young child. And knowing that this land has been in our family for multiple generations really compels me to be sure to take care of it so that it can continue into the next generation. Right. I wouldn't have what I have today if it weren't for the same stewardship value being passed down generation to generation. So I would say that that connection to the land is really special because and it also fuels my conservation ethic that's so important to me.
0: Yeah. And so what did you do for the Flint River Soil and Water Conservation District? Tell me about that a little bit.
1: Wow, well, we, I will say we had, what I loved about it is that we had so many different projects that were all over the spectrum. When I'll I'll give you a few examples, and it's just funny thinking back on it, because they're just like, is that that all from one organization? Uh, But, you know, our primary purpose was, of course, conservation, and then we did a lot of really wonderful educational and and education and outreach-type initiatives uh, one of the things I'm most proud of and, and most passionate about is, is our work with innovative irrigation. We always called it conservation driven innovation. So we would work with researchers at the University of Georgia, take what they were developing at their research level, and then secure funding to implement that on a larger scale, do technology transfer, and, and test it at a commercial level on a, on a real farm and see if the technology was viable. And if it was, then we could work to secure even more funding to then adopt it on a larger scale across the region. And, and so seeing how that research was brought to life with, with what we were doing and, and the partnerships that we had with the University of Georgia and USDA, that was probably one of my favorite things because you know we were we were developing technology that, that I use as a farmer now. It it, it was it was very relevant, very helpful. And it, it, we always operated in the in the space where we wanted to conserve natural resources, but we also wanted to increase efficiency for the farmer. We wanted to provide value back to the farmer and, and create this win-win situation. So I, I worked in several projects doing work on irrigation. That was probably my main focus. But then we also had the opportunity to do some uh, much, Very different projects as well. One uh, specifically that I'm also really proud of is we received a grant from the National Association of Conservation Districts in 2016 to start an urban ag conservation program in the urban area that was within our district, which is a town of about 90,000 people. It's, wow. a, it's really the urban hub for our region and that they have tremendous issues with food access and food security. There are so many food deserts. There, there are a lot of problems there. And then there are several small farmers in that county and in that region that just don't really have a market or a way to get their, their what they grow to a, to a local market. And so we actually created this urban program that then became its own nonprofit called Flint River Fresh, and it has been really exciting to see that initiative grow. And it all started with just this little grant proposal and, and small project. And now it's this really impactful community organization with community partners and corporate partners and volunteers. And it's just, it's so exciting to see how that has really transformed several issues within that community. And, and it's still early in the process, but I'm, I'm excited to see how it continues to grow uh, but it feels like it's really, it's making a real difference in the community. So I'm really proud of that. And and then the, the last project I was working on before I left was actually a uh, feral swine control pilot program. <laughs> so when I say that we worked in a lot of different areas, we...
0: <laughs> Did you say feral swine?
1: Yes. <laughs> so these are wild pigs. <laughs> so wild pigs. They, so just a little background on why that's so important is in, in our part of the country and really all over the country, feral plant has become one of the most problematic invasive species that to deal with. They not only destroy agricultural crops, they also are destroying natural environment. And so they are, they are a huge, huge problem. And so we were working on pilot projects to figure out how to come up with some me- mechanism for control so that they weren't running rampant and destroying crops and destroying nature. And so that was uh, a really unique initiative we, we were working on so that was really the one of the last things I did before uh, returning to the farm full-time I know more about girl swine than I ever thought I would want to <laughs> <laughs>
0: right now are these are these pigs domesticated pigs that got out or are they wild pigs
1: it, it's a mixture they mm. are really they started coming over uh, it's, you can trace these back all the way to the 1600s with the Spanish bringing them over. And, and then there, there's a mixture of some domesticated pigs that were released and then mixed with the wild population and they procreate very rapidly and they're, um, they, they don't have a lot of natural predators in these areas and they are just extremely destructive. So uh, that's that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down, <laughs> but it, it's a, it's a very complex, Problem And it's one that the reason the district was very well suited to work in that space is because it, it's a problem that impacts farmers and natural resources. And so that was one of those places where we could we could really bring build a partnership to to come together and, and try to address that problem within within our area. So that, that was fun. I mean, I, I enjoyed that because it was so different from all the other work I had been doing. So mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed getting involved in that. But it's, uh, like I said, all, all types of different projects within the district.
0: <laughs> wow, no kidding. It seems to me that you are a young change maker in the in the farming industry. How does that make you feel?
1: Well, I, I don't it, It's hard to see myself that way. I just, look at it like I have been given so many incredible opportunities and I just really enjoy doing things that make a positive impact whether that's through you know my role with the district or now being more in, serving on, on boards and as part of organizations that uh, serve the agricultural community and our local community that's that's just part of who I am it's, it's I, I just that's, that's something that is really important to me is just to to be a positive representation of, of the ag industry and of my community. And so I'm um, I'm just grateful because I've had so many doors open that were very unexpected and and it it was a little bit of a domino effect. One door would open and and I would walk through it and then another one and another one and it's just it's all because I've had these people who have given me these opportunities. So you know, I I've, I've certainly tried to jump in opportunities that would benefit the the farm and the ag industry, uh, but none of that would be possible without those people who are who are helping me and, and leading me along the way.
0: And I say that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, and the universe is aligning and just pushing you in that direction, and it's working. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. It, it feels really good, and I'm so thankful for this, especially seeing some of my friends from college really struggle mm-hmm. to find their place in their career. I am one of, I, I realized how fortunate I am to feel absolute confidence that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I know that's a rare thing to find these yeah. days. And I just, I, I'm so full of gratitude every day that, that I actually, I feel like I'm on the path I'm supposed to be on and I'm doing what I love doing. And I'm just, I'm just really excited about the future and, and there are challenges and obstacles. And of I've course. certainly had, Plenty of those to deal with, but I um, I, but you get up every day and, and you're you're doing something you're passionate about, and it it makes dealing with all of this those challenges so much easier.
0: Yeah. Well, and quite honestly, there are a lot of people out there that never find it at any age. So right. congratulations. Right. Thank you. Let's talk about your farm because really the reason I wanted to connect with you was to learn about peanuts and peanut butter. So can you describe <laughs> right. your farm? Yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute, too. Can you describe your farm and <laughs> tell me, you know, if I drive up the driveway, what am I going to see?
1: <laughs> well, what, the first thing that comes to mind is actually a joke that one of my farmer friends made to me a few years ago when we were talking about our family farm. He said, Casey, you don't have a farm. You have a nature preserve. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I love that because um, we, we do have quite a few pine trees and, and woodland on our property which is really special to me and and to my family. That's something that uh, is just, it's really beautiful and, and a really special ecosystem. And I could literally spend all day talking to you about these trees and this ecosystem. So I will, I will hold back on that, but, we have, we have actually more timberland and woodland than we do cropland. So if you are driving down the driveway, you're you're going to be just surrounded by trees, which is not what people really expect when you're picturing a farm, and especially one in Southwest Georgia. Ours is not, not as typical. And then the other really special feature of our farm is that it borders the Flint River. And the Flint River is just absolutely beautiful. This is the one in Georgia, not the one in Michigan, of course. Uh-huh. But the, the Flint River is just a really special and beautiful place. And... We're so lucky because our neighbor across the river is an ecological research center. Um, so it's just as beautiful across the river. And we are very remote and not developed. And so then, then, of course, we have all of our fields that are nestled in within all these trees. <laughs> and we, uh, we have irrigated cropland. All of, all of our cropland is irrigated. We rely so much on water, which is why water conservation has been, and irrigation technology are, are two huge focuses for me. But we have right now. We're we're actually in the middle of harvest, which is my favorite time of year. So, we I, if you came to the farm, I could take you to our our sweet corn field where we're we're harvesting sweet corn this week, and to our peanut fields where we are we are hoping the weather cooperates and enables us to start picking peanuts uh, a little bit more. Uh, we're, we're a little behind on that right now. And I always like to take people to the river, of course, because it just. It, it feels like that that's part of our, our home, an extension of our home and land is is the river. So that's just a quick little description of of our farm. It's it's a very special place.
0: <laughs> Sounds like it. I love that you live on a nature preserve. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so this past summer I actually had a young man on the podcast talking about nut butters and peanut butter and it and around that same time I saw the segment on Netflix about you and peanuts. So tell me about peanuts and where they come from and give me a little history there.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm very passionate about peanuts. This is one of my favorite crops that we grow. It is, it is such a special crop and such a unique crop. Uh, something a lot of people don't realize, is, especially if they don't live in the heart of peanut country, like I do is, is that peanuts are legumes and they grow underground. <laughs> so uh, when, when you're looking at a peanut field, you're really just looking at this this small shrubby bush green bush and then when we are harvesting or dig we start by digging the peanuts and actually inverting them from underground that's why we have to rely so much on sunshine and dry weather for after um during the harvest process is because we're actually digging them underground Um, georgia where where i am is is the number one producer of peanuts in the united states
0: wow Uh, we
1: actually produce about half of Half of the United States peanut production is, is, comes from Georgia most years, every year. And if you take in our neighbors in Alabama and Florida, you're looking at about 70 to 75% of US peanut production. So um, peanut production is, is really kind of limited across the country. It, it, we have, uh, it stretches over out West to really that border of, of Texas and, and New Mexico. There's, there's some, a lot of peanut production there. And it comes through the, the southeast and a little bit up into Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, and then through the southeast up to Virginia. And that's really the only peanut-producing region in the state. And the reason for that is we have such a long growing season. We, I've had people ask me before that live in you know Oregon or Vermont if they can grow peanuts. And uh, while I appreciate their enthusiasm, it's, it's, they definitely don't have the climate or the growing season. For it in those places because um, it takes peanuts about 135 to 145 days to mature. Wow. So we're planting in May and harvesting about this time of year. So you're, you're talking about you know, five or six months of growing. And mm-hmm. so you have to have good conditions for that. So that's why it's, it's really relegated most, mostly to the south. But you know, the the Netflix documentary was a really great experience. I always like to joke with people. I am the Peanut Problem (laughs) because that was the name of the episode. But um, and it was talking about food allergies and peanut allergies specifically. Mm -hmm. And and that's an area that I've become really familiar with as I've gotten involved in the industry. And one little plug I'll make is is for the National Peanut Board, which, as as you mentioned when you were introducing me, I just started serving on that last year as alternate board member and. I'm so proud because the National Peanut Board was formed in the year 2000, and since 2000, they have contributed over 32 million dollars. That's all peanut farmers' money from the the checkoff program that we have. 32 million dollars towards peanut allergy research, education, and outreach. Wow! And awareness. That's so huge. that That is just, and that, that is peanut farmers' money. That because that comes directly off of our our profits to um, the checkoff program, and that is. And those are peanut farmers making that decision. And some of the research that the peanut board helped fund really in the really early years was foundational and fundamental to the new early introduction guidelines that completely changed how the medical community recommends introducing peanuts in, and potentially other allergens to, to children. So I'm just so proud of, of all the work that's been done there. And I can give you some information later with some great links on, on all of that with, you know, scientific evidence, because I know a lot of people, sometimes the first thing people that comes to mind with peanuts is peanut allergy. Right. And, um, so there's, there's, there's actually some really, really positive news and, and some really great research that's being done in that space. And I'm really proud to be part of an industry that has been so proactive in that, and so involved in, in trying to make that, to make that better for families who, you know, are either trying to prevent peanut allergies or who are suffering from peanut allergies.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah. So, what...
1: like I said, I could talk about peanuts all day. <laughs> so, uh, if, if you have any specific questions, I, I'd be glad to to answer those.
0: Well, first of all, again, you're you're on the leading edge of of helping with something like that. Congratulations, and let's jump. Oh, thank up. you. But
1: I. I have Hardly can take credit for that because that, that was all done way before my time. I'm just, I'm just really honored to be part of an organization that that has done that. Yeah.
0: Well, congratulations. So let's, let's talk (laughs) about your most significant professional contribution that we spoke about Sesame street. Oh my (laughs) gosh. I, I have to tell you, I was a little late on our call today because I pulled up the segment and I watched it and it's like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. So, Tell me about the segment, and then I want you to tell me how it came to be.
1: Sure. Well, I, I always joke that that I've peaked, because how will I ever top being on Sesame <laughs> right? Street? Right. I Like so many people, I, I grew up watching Sesame Street. Cookie Monster was my favorite character. So this opportunity that came along, which I'll, I'll share a little bit about how it happened, it really is one, when I say it's my most significant professional contribution, it really, it, is, it was such a proud moment, and it's so special, and I'm just so thankful that I had the opportunity, and it's funny, I think there have been some reruns on lately, because I keep getting messages and emails from people I know that are like, I think I just saw you on Sesame Street, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and it's just, it is, it is so funny, well, the, so the segment, first of all, I absolutely applaud Sesame Street for doing this because one of the, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face as farmers is is just a disconnect with consumers and understanding yep. how food is made and where it comes from. Um, that's something that really worries me uh, as, as a farmer, especially a young farmer, about the just the you know that that disconnect and some of the misinformation. So I'm so excited that Sesame Street has created this segment. So the, the show I, or the little segment I was on was part of a series that they call Foodie Truck. <laughs> and that's where Cookie Monster and Gonger are making some kind of snack or, or they're, they're cooking together. Gonger is a new character. I didn't know about him. He was, he was new for me. Uh, he's a chef. <laughs> so he, I had, when they sent me the script, I had to audition for it. <laughs> it, was, it. I had to send them like a little audition video. When they sent it, I was like, I have no idea who Gonger is. I'm just going to pretend this is Cookie Monster. <laughs> but Gonger is this, this cute little chef And so in my segment, they were making a little snack with some apples and peanut butters and cookie monster ate all the peanut butter. So, and, and chef Gonger was very upset with him and they had to come to the peanut farm and the peanut butter factory and they learned how peanut butter was made, and I gave them another jar of peanut butter since Cookie Monster had eaten all of theirs. <laughs> so that that was a segment, and it was really cute, and it aired on the episode that was called uh, Elmo's Happy Little Train, which was on season forty-nine. And this all started because you know when when I said earlier that when one door opens, another and another, and it just keeps happening. So I was I would always try to help people out with these different organizations you know the different peanut organizations if they needed a farmer to talk um, they knew I was pretty comfortable with public speaking because of the nature of my other job and I had become more comfortable with interviews because of that role too and just talking about all, all of the things that we were doing with the district and so I had a friend reach out to me from the Georgia Peanut Commission and ask if I would be interested in working on a children's educational show that was all I knew at the time and oh, I was like nice. kind of, eh. I mean, sure, I'll help. I'm not great with kids, so I don't really know like, if I'm the right person, but like, I'd be glad to help. I found out later it was Sesame Street, and I was like, oh, yes, we will make it work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the tricky thing is they needed to film in February. Now, there's not a whole lot of peanut production going on in February. <laughs> so thankfully, we have some B-roll from a prior shoot that was like during harvest in the heart of harvest mm-hmm. that we were able to use and then they were able to come and shoot some with me and, and just kind of make it look like it was peanut production time uh, but I had so much fun that there was a film crew out of Atlanta that came and they had, they had contracted with Sesame Street to do my segment I didn't actually get to meet the characters that was the that was the sad part um, they didn't come come down to the farm with me but it, it was so much fun. I loved the crew, just amazing director and producer and all of the people who were part of that crew we spent. Um, I think I think we filmed for eleven hours the first day. Wow. So we got to know each other very well. Yep. <laughs> uh, I mean it's amazing what, what goes into production. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we had a, we had so much fun with it. They made it I mean, how can you not have fun with right? that Street? So <laughs> they, they made it really fun. And then it took almost a year, actually, it came out about a year later. So I was anticipating it that whole time. And, and I kept thinking, I was like, what if they decide not to use it? And I've gotten all excited that I'm going to be on Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it came out, I was just, oh my goodness, I was just so excited. It was, you know, the, the Netflix documentary, I was a little bit more nervous about it, because I had no idea how that was going to turn out. And it was a really serious topic. And I felt like, it, and I knew it would be seen by people all over, and I was really nervous about that documentary. But with Sesame Street, I, I knew I was just excited because I knew it wasn't. It, it just—it's <laughs> Sesame Street. Of course, you're going to be excited. Right. So that—that's really the. That, I guess that's how how it all happened. And they the the production team had reached out to the Peanut Commission and asked them for. They wanted a, a farmer, and and they really wanted a female farmer. And there just aren't quite, quite, there aren't very many of us. So, um, and, and I, I certainly had done some interviews and, and things in the past. So that's how I got selected. And I will always be grateful <laughs> that yeah. they, they thought of me for that.
0: Well, and I can tell from our, 35 uh, minute conversation today that you're really well spoken. <laughs> so congratulations oh, on you. Sesame street and everything that you do. <laughs> I believe my personal belief is that the most important thing we can be doing right now, culturally and worldwide is figuring out where our food comes from and learning how to Mm -hmm. grow our own. And you are contributing so highly to that. So thank you for that.
1: Well, thank you.
0: So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it.
1: Okay. I might go a slightly different direction with this answer as far as a failure goes, because this was, this was a, a huge failure, not necessarily as a result of something that happened to me, but we're coming up this week on the two year anniversary of Hurricane Michael. Oh, so that's yes. just really heavy on my mind. And our farm, we're actually located really close to the Gulf of Mexico. I, I can be there in, in 90 minutes. So, and, and the closest point to us on the Gulf is, is Mexico Beach. And Hurricane Michael hit Mexico Beach as a category five. So most wow. of the time when, when hurricanes come over Florida panhandle, they usually break up and they're usually tropical storms by the time they get to us. So we get some damage. We, we might get some tornadoes. We, we might get some wind damage, but we've never seen anything like hurricane Michael. It was a category three when it went over us in South Georgia. Whoa. And it was one of the most harrowing, terrifying experiences of my life. It was it was really traumatic. We woke up the next day and our whole farm looked different. Um, we had a sweet corn field that was completely flat. We had pine trees down all over our property. We couldn't even access most of our property because there were just trees down everywhere. We were so so lucky that our houses were not impacted and our employees were all safe and that we were safe. Um, we lost our farm office. A huge tree fell on it and crushed it. Wow. Um, and this is obviously in the middle of harvest time. All of our neighbors were devastated. I mean, this was just one of the most devastating experiences and life-changing experiences I've ever had. And I know that's not exactly a failure, but it's something that, that you know, it was the same kind of experience. It was, it, you know, it, and, and so what I learned from it and what was so critical to me at that phase of my career and as I was beginning to transition back to the farm I saw how my dad and mom reacted. I saw how other farmers started reacting and how we just started picking up the pieces, doing everything we could to get back on our feet and what felt like insurmountable odds. I'll never forget, you know, we just thought we were going to have to plow off an entire field of sweet corn and our business partner called and he was like, we're going to figure out how to harvest it and we're going to get it to market. <laughs> and so it was just this incredible Lesson of, of resilience and determination that I will never ever forget, and it was really jarring. I, pers- you know, certainly don't want to ever experience anything on that scale again. Um, as we anticipate yet another hurricane coming through the Gulf this weekend, but and it also gave me so much more empathy for other farmers and other people who have experienced similar destruction because it's it's just it's you hear about it in the news for a couple of days and then you move on to the next thing and it's people's lives are changed forever. And it was just, I mean, it was just perspective changing. And, but the other thing that came out of that that was so amazing is we lost power for 11 days, including at our sweet corn pre-cooler. And we had some neighbors step up and let us use their cooler, which normally they're they're very competitive and, and you don't really do that. But it was just like, everyone was just, doing whatever they could to help each other. And it was just that moment of, of just everyone was all in for the community. I had people I knew in Atlanta calling and asking how they could come down and help. And just people from all over the country, everyone, I feel like everyone I'd ever talked to was reaching out, make sure we were okay, see what they could do to help. And so it was, it, it was just a really life-defining experience on so many levels and, and one I will never forget. And um, just something that's been on my mind a lot this week. Wow. So I know that's a little different in the question that you asked me, but a little bit timely Yeah, right one, now.
0: One of the things that I've noticed in our conversation today is the rich life and experiences that you've had and how much, how grateful you are for them. And, you know, being somebody right. that's almost 60 years old, I can't begin to tell you how valuable Holding life that way is so. Congratulations, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. What do you consider your biggest success?
1: (laughs) Well, my I would say my biggest success is making the decision to return home to the farm because that has been the catalyst for everything else that's positive that's happened in my life. That was just that transformational decision. When I decided to come back to the farm, to take that leap of faith, to leave a college with 50,000 people my age and come back to a town of less than 5,000 people, not having any idea what to expect. And just knowing that farming could be risky and not knowing what the future held or that I would be experiencing things like Hurricane Michael, but still taking that leap of faith and choosing my heritage and my family and our land and this business, and really pouring my heart into it over these last few years and becoming rooted in this community. That that to me has been my greatest success.
0: Wow. Congratulations. And what drives you?
1: I would say the the word that comes to mind and the one, what I would probably define as my core value is, is stewardship. I look at everything that I have not just the land and natural resources and the farm but also the opportunities the platform the skills the community the people in my life everything that I've been given I feel like it is my responsibility to be a steward of that and to use it to make a positive impact and to to use it for good and and, and I feel very I feel very driven by that every day. And so there's there's certainly that conservation ethic that I talked about and, and that side of stewardship. But then there's also this other less tangible side of stewardship that that really is always in the back of my mind. You know, I've been, it says in the Bible, to whom has been given much, much is expected. And and that's really, that just stays in my mind. It's, it's, it's like, I need to be a steward of, of everything that I've been blessed to have because I know how rare it is to have have these opportunities and to have this this farm and and this this background and, and the supportive family and community that I have and I want to I want to use that to make a positive difference as much as possible Wow
0: that is beautiful thank you for that if you could recommend you. one book for our listeners what would it be and why
1: I love to read. <laughs> it is such a great escape and i love to learn and so it's it's always fun for me to read uh, so on the theme of stewardship one of the books that i read in college that made a really huge impact on me and i love to reread it when whenever i have a chance because it's just it is so beautifully written is a san county almanac by Aldo Leopold oh yes and what really resonates with me and if you've read it you certainly know is that just how poetic and beautiful he writes about conservation and land and the land ethic. And that was really the first time I'd ever seen in print what I feel like was in my heart around the land and natural resources and conservation. And it, he just does it so eloquently and so beautifully. And that book, for anyone that cares about land and about conservation, would, would really enjoy that book. It's, it's just timeless to me.
0: Yeah, the Sand County Almanac.
1: Aldo Leopold.
0: What one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: I will say that the moments in my life that have resulted in the most significant growth have all been when I have pushed myself or been pushed out of (laughs) my comfort zone. So the advice I always try to give people is to get out of your comfort zone Uh, if if you want to grow and if you want to learn and if you want to challenge yourself, that's the best way to do it because it's it's easy to stay in your comfort zone. But I I just look back on the last several years, even just since I've moved home and how much I've changed and evolved as a person. And it's all come down to those decisions I made that squarely put me outside of my comfort zone. (laughs) So I, I really make it an effort to, do that as often as possible, even even when it's scarier, when I'm taking a big risk, it's, I know that, that that's where I'm going to grow the most.
0: Wow, that is beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Casey.
1: Well thank you for the opportunity. It was great talking with you and, and I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit of my story.
0: Oh my gosh, and a delightful one it is. How can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: The best way to find me is probably on social media. Uh, I have a Twitter handle at K-C-C-A-S-E-Y-M-C-O. And then I also have an Instagram for our farm, which is at Longleaf Ridge. And there's, uh, there's also a Facebook account for our farm as well, Longleaf Ridge Farm. So those are, those, that's probably the best way to get in touch with me is, is through one of those social media accounts. Beautiful. Okay, we also have a website at longleafridge.com. So that just has a little bit, and there's a a way you can contact me directly on that website as well.
0: Excellent. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash longleafridge.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org